Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. My name is Zach Diamond. I am a middle school music teacher, and I am joined this evening by two fantastic teachers and also mentors. Some of you may remember that Monty has been on the podcast before. Hey, Monty, how's it going? It's going really good. How are you? I am doing great. Doing great. And new to the podcast is Sarah Moon. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello. I'm super excited to be here. I'm excited, too. This is going to be a really great episode. We're going to talk about how we use lesson classifications in a modern classroom. So that's the must-do, should-do, and aspire-to sort of tags we put on our lessons in a modern classrooms unit. Um, Before we get started, Sarah, since you're new to the podcast, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Um, So I am Sarah Moon. I am currently a teacher at Durham Public Schools here in North Carolina. Uh, My school system is what brought me to Modern Classrooms. We were doing some work as a district to ensure advanced course equity, and we wanted to make sure that we were doing it in a flexible way. And so a whole bunch of us got to be able to go through the MCP program. And uh, I always joke with my mentees, I did the mentorship and I never looked back. Uh, We've been a Modern Classroom ever since. Uh, Last year, I taught fifth grade Um, My background is in special education, and during summer school, I've been doing fourth and fifth grade, and I just absolutely love Modern Classrooms. It's allowed my kiddos to not only excel, but it's allowed myself as a teacher to excel and to find a lot of joy within teaching again, um, which I think was a very big thing, especially in the middle of pandemic teaching when it seemed like teaching was just (laughs) all sorts of crazy, Uh, and I am super excited to be able to help other educators uh, be able to implement modern classrooms as well. Awesome. You know, I totally agree. This is not our topic tonight, but I I feel like we should really emphasize that. Like this just, this model makes teaching so much more sustainable and so much more enjoyable. So Monty, listeners probably are familiar with you. You've been on the podcast, what, like three or four times now? Yeah. But why don't you just go ahead and remind everyone what you teach? Yeah. So I'm Monty once again, and I teach middle school science. Um, right now I am getting ready to start a school year here in Atlanta, just moved like two weeks ago. So I'm super excited. Um, if anybody's listening and they live in Atlanta, I love this place. I'm so <laughs> excited to join the party here. Um, I've been doing modern classrooms for going into year three next year, which seems really crazy. Um, and I've um, mentored for a little over a year as well. I was one of the original mentors. So um, I'm really happy to be able to share my expertise and the things that I've pretty much learned over the last two years of doing this. Um, I'm just really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go ahead and dive in here. I want to start the discussion by kind of taking a very broad look at this idea of classifying lessons. I think a lot of teachers who come to the model and see this idea of must do, should do, and aspire to lessons for the first time think of extension activities, you know, extra stuff that we come up with our kids to do when they're done. Um, that's not necessarily how I view it, but I'm curious to hear how you sort of philosophically view this lesson classification idea and what the purpose is in your classrooms. Monty, why don't you go first? 
Yeah. So it's this conversation is a very interesting one. And I feel like I've actually done a lot of work with Modern Classroom over the last year of like really, truly talking about the classifications. Um, like I did a whole like video series with Ed Puzzle um, about the must do, should do and aspire to do. Um, and if you haven't seen that, you should definitely uh, find a link to that because it's a very interesting um, video as well. But the way I see it is I like to think of my assignments kind of in three sets. So the must do work is like the truly essential stuff that my students need in order to master whatever it is that we are studying. Um, The should do um, are things that are going to help develop those skills. So um, I think about things like guided practice um, and other activities that aren't super necessary for mastery, um, but they will give students a little bit more background on whatever the topic is that we're studying. And then my aspire to do, I like to think of as, you know, above and beyond kind of what they truly need to know. Um, this is going to be things that is going to give them more background. And it's, it's sometimes about the same topic, but g- going a little bit deeper. Um, but I try not to think of it as uh, solely extension work for the fact that when I think of it that way, I might not necessarily have holistic assignments that students are excited about um, when I think of it as truly extension. So I try to think of it as skills that are going to help them develop the knowledge that they know, but also diving a lot deeper into um, what we are studying. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea of deepening their knowledge more than like filling up their time because just filling their time with stuff isn't necessarily the most exciting. Sarah, how about you? How do you approach this classification idea? I definitely approach it in very much a similar way. You know, those must do or what do you must do within that objective to be able to master it. Um, with the should do, Monty, I love your idea of doing like a little bit more of the background. My should do's are a lot of like review, extra practice. It would be great if you do this. I always tell the kiddos, it would be great for you to do this. You'd get a deeper understanding, but if life gets in the way, we don't get to it. It's okay. Um, and then aspire to do, I really push myself to make sure that my aspire to do lessons are lessons that kiddos actually aspire to do. Like Monty said, we don't want it to just be like, oh, okay, you're ahead of pace. So you get to do the super hard work. Um, you know, we still want it to be aligned to that overall standard or objective of the unit, but we want kiddos to aspire to do it. So these are a lot of times are like projects. Like I did an environmental unit and my kiddos uh, could make PSAs on Flipgrid. And that was something that motivated kids to actually be on pace, to be able to get to those um, aspire to do lessons. So I think you have the opportunity with aspire to do's to do some really cool things with your lessons that not only allow your kiddos to deepen their knowledge and also um, show that knowledge in maybe a more unusual way, but it's also a great motivating factor within your unit as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I often talk with my mentees about this, my modern classrooms mentees. Like when you're in the midst of planning a unit and your brain is kind of firing and you're having all these ideas and you're like, oh, I wish I could talk about this, but it's just we don't have enough time to talk about this. Those can be your aspire to's, right? Because they're cool. Like they're fun for the kids. They actually aspire to do them. I love that you put it that way. I feel like that's, you know, we call it that, but it never really occurred to me to, to think about what it means to aspire to do something. You know, mine, I think of it in a similar way. Mine are like analyses of songs. For the most part, my students are making a song. So the must-do assignments are work on the song. But if I'm teaching them a skill, they might be able to hear that in the music they listen to. So they get to listen to songs that they choose and say, oh, I heard this, you know, such and such skill that you taught us. And that's that's something they want to do because they like listening to music and they're, apl- they're applying that learning and deepening it in an, in an interesting way. I think another consideration 
for the aspire twos especially, but maybe should use as well, is one relating to pacing because sometimes our students who are falling behind may skip an aspire to lesson. And so there's sort of like a buffer, right? Like a cushion. Um, we talk about this, especially in the, in the context of collaborative activities, like big group activities, putting an aspire to right before that so that kids who haven't completed the work to be prepared for the collaborative activity have a day that's supposedly dedicated to the Aspire to, but if they're not there yet, they can take that day to skip the Aspire to and catch up on what they're behind on. So lots of different ways to think about this classification scheme that isn't just, let's put more work in front of the kids because we want to give them more stuff to fill up their time. I love that. Uh, in, in my work as a mentor with Modern Classrooms, I see two types of, of these classifications, I would say. So on the one hand, there are must-do should do and aspire to activities, each of which are sort of components of a single lesson, right? So it might be a, a lesson on doing one particular thing, and then there's an aspire to do sort of task related to that lesson. And then there's the other type, which is an entirely separate lesson that's the aspire to do, if that makes sense. So like lesson one is a must do, lesson two is a must do, but lesson three is an aspire to do. And I'm curious, just mechanically, how do you plan your units? Which of these two approaches do you take or maybe both like how do you organize these should do and aspire to uh, activities into your units sure so um i don't really have a true answer i guess because i kind of go both ways i think it really depends like you were saying zach in terms of when you're thinking of your unit you know what's going to make the most sense in your unit sometimes you are going to have that like wow this is a great aspire to do and it's going to be a whole lesson um and other times i think you have those little components Definitely during math, I implement, um, because I do teach all subjects in elementary. So definitely during my math lessons, I do uh, pepper in some should and aspire to do's within each lesson. Um, So, you know, like we're learning about uh, subtracting with regrouping. And so you have your must do problems and it's a must do lesson. But then within that problem set, there might be some should do and aspire to do problems. I have found especially as again, another motivating factor is to make some of those should do problems. Again, just you should do them. They're not necessarily any different type of level, but extra practice is always great, but it can be super motivating to our kiddos, especially those that have had a lot of difficulty um, in academic settings to be able to say to themselves like, wow, I'm doing the must do and the should do like, and I'm doing them well. It's a great way to kind of you know, boost up that confidence. Um, MCP in general is a great way to boost up that confidence. And again, it's just like peppering in those little bits. And I think especially our teachers and our educators that are starting to do modern classrooms, the peppering in little bits within must-dos um, can definitely be maybe a more sustainable way to start if the whole idea of like, oh, no, I have to make all these additional lessons can seem a little bit much. Mm, sure. How about you, Monty? Um, so I find that in science, I have one main lesson and within the lesson I have must do, should do and aspire to do assignments. I think one of the major distinctions that I've seen just mentoring is that it truly depends on the content for the most part. Like I find that contents that are more skill-based like math, ELA, they tend to do it the other way with lessons that are must do and lessons that are should do. But then I find that in subjects like science or social studies, where we're more content based, that it's actually more common to do it by assignment, but there's no right or wrong way. Um, For me, the reason why I choose to do it by like within a lesson is because 
normally I'm just doing like one whole objective, like for example, you know, students needing to know the three parts of the cell theory. And within that, it's just so much easier to create assignments related to the cell theory that might not, that might be an aspire to do, or that might be a must do, et cetera, as opposed to making separate lessons about the cell theory. Um, And I also find that in science, especially a lot of times we don't even have as many lessons as say like an ELA or math subject, because again, we're content based. So, um, that's just how I choose to do it. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I actually do it a different way. And I would say my class is very much skill-based. It's a music class. Uh, they're making digital music, but it's still creative and using skills to do creative work. And I do it the other way where I have entire lessons that are the aspire to do's. But that's because it's actually, I find it more challenging to say like, okay, you know, lesson three is to sequence your drum part, right? And I don't know what you could aspire to do to deepen that because- if you're sequencing a drum part, either you did it or you didn't. And so for me, in this very skill-driven type of a unit that I teach, uh, I, I think it's easier to plan the other way. But just goes to show, you know, every teacher is different and content is different. And that's really interesting, really interesting to hear. Um, as you're planning these lessons, how do you decide which is which? It's interesting because for me, it's very obvious I'm going to do an Aspire to Do lesson that's related to something we've learned. But like I said before, it's going to be an analysis. Like it's going to be completely separate from the project that we're working on. The project is the core of my class. And so there are the aspire to do's that are analyses of songs unrelated to the project. If you skip the the aspire to do, it will have no effect on the project itself. Um, so for me, it's very simple to sort of classify the aspire to do's as being separate. But if you're planning these activities within the same lesson, I'm curious how you decide which is which, what's a must do, what's a should do, what's an aspire to do. And like, what are some examples of, of each of these different categories of lessons? So I follow the five E and I feel like this is like a very common, again, another science thing, but I follow the five E and I don't necessarily follow it in the order of the five E for those of you who don't know, it's, it's like a, a way to plan your lessons. And it starts off with like an engage, then students move into an explore and explain and elaborate and evaluate. Those are like the five components of it. Um, and in a traditional class, typically you would go in that order, but in a modern classroom, I tend to kind of go out of that order, but I still like to think of my lessons in that way of like the five E's and coming up with like an activity that goes with each. And so my must do's are always going to be my explain and my evaluate because they have to learn the material they have to assess. So those are always a must do within like whatever my lesson is, my engage and my explore, um, are oftentimes going to be should do's just solely because of like where they fall, like your engagement is supposed to spark their interest and your explore is again, supposed to help spark the interest before they learn whatever it is. But I often classify those as should do's things that like, if they don't do it, it's not going to harm them in any way whatsoever, but they're fun. They're, they spark their interest. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. And then a lot of times my aspire to do is oftentimes what the five E calls the elaborate. Um, and normally in a traditional class, your elaborate is going to do exactly what I said earlier. It's going to kind of take their skills a little bit beyond what, you know, they've learned. And it starts to kind of like have them apply some of those skills and whatnot. So I like to think of my aspire to do in terms of the elaborate, but they don't always go in the order of the five E's, if that makes sense. That's really interesting. I love that. It's almost like a sort of a heuristic or like a mental template for for coming up with these things. That's really interesting. Sarah, what about you? 
So kind of like, uh, and Monty, I just want to lift up what an awesome job you did with the five E's. I know the five E's and I've never thought about it in that way. And I might have to steal that for the next school year. But with my must do's, kind of like what Monty said, like, what are the things that kiddos must do? A lot of us have, you know, finals or end of grade tests or district assessments, whatever it is. And so I normally think to myself, like, what do kiddos have to do? What lessons must they do to be able to access that material on the end of grade test? district assessment be, uh, you know, be successful with that. The should do's are a lot of times they're like review or, um, again, just like a little bit extra, like you should do this. It would definitely deepen your knowledge. And then the aspire to's, I normally go two different ways with them. Um, if I'm doing like a, a full aspire to do lesson, the first one is like an application. A lot of times that's what my math aspire to do's are. So fifth grade, we do a lot with perimeter and area or fourth grade, excuse me, we do a lot with perimeter and area. And so I have an aspire to do project where they get to design their dream apartment and they have to do like the perimeter, um, if they're doing wallpaper and area of each room, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really fun because the kiddos think that it's super cool that they get a thousand square feet to themselves, but then also aspire to use in more like content-based areas like science and social studies. A lot of times I take more of like a research um, approach. And so like, you know, civil war is fifth grade in North Carolina and we're talking about the different battles and, you know, historic battles and the impact. And so one of the aspire to do's is that they could choose any battle of the civil war and conduct some independent research about it and kind of do a, a deeper dive into it than we ever got to. Um, which I think is a great, uh, again, that motivating factor because it's giving them that choice and it's allowing them to really deepen their knowledge of the curriculum in a way that's not just, Hey, here's a packet here's some extra work to do. They're getting to have that choice in deepening their knowledge. Yeah, like they get to explore whatever part of it that they're interested in. And can I add, I forgot, I like didn't give any examples, but one of my favorite examples of like an Aspire to Do assignment that I created was on a unit on like thermal energy. Um, One of the things that students have to be able to do is they have to be able to like make a distinction between conduction, radiation, and convection. And... I was watching Frozen with my niece one day and you know, the song in summer that Olaf sings, it actually really applies to like conduction, convection and radiation. And as I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh, I could create an assignment on this. But at the end of the day, them watching Frozen is like not required, like, uh, some kids just hate Disney. They don't want to watch Olaf saying in summer, but some of my kids are super big into frozen. So I created the assignment where they have to watch the in summer video. And I like asked them some question of like, what's an example of radiation in this scenario? And it was actually a really cool assignment and more students chose to do it than not. Um, and they were all singing in summer for like two weeks after the fact. And it was, it was just really fun. And that's what I like about the aspire to do assignments. Like for me, they're always really fun. And I feel like this is where my creative aspect of planning lessons truly gets to come out because I get to do some of those things that in my traditional class, I may not have ever actually had time to fit in because if anybody walks in and I'm like showing kids frozen, I don't think it looks very good. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, but totally. And that's what I was trying to get at before. It's like this, you know, as a adult who understands the content really well, like we have lots more ideas about this stuff than the students do on their own, right? And we want to share all this with the kids, but there's just always so little time. And I love the Aspire to do's sort of being the place where that can happen. And also, Monty, now I am positive that you are the quintessential middle school science teacher. <laughs> That's really fun. That's really fun. But it's like the perfect the perfect example of, of an Aspire to do. Those are more fun than my Aspire to do's where the students just get to 
write a little bit about a song. But yeah, the should do's for me, I had a hard time at the beginning distinguishing between the should and aspire to do's because I guess like they're both optional and it's hard for one to be more optional than the other. I don't know. But now my should do's are annotations on the must do. So I ask them to do these things and if they don't do them, but it's clear from from their work that they understand, I'll let them move on. If I'm not sure, I'll ask them to go back and do the should do's. Do you communicate the classifications to your students? Like I, I was just talking about my should do's. I actually don't tell them that the annotations are should do's. I just put them in the slides and I expect them to do them. But if they don't, sometimes I'll let them move on without saying anything. Um, but the aspire to do is I do tell my students, this is an aspire to do. And I put it in my Google classroom. Like it's an, actually our school had this big push last year to really make more work optional because kids were very stressed, obviously, and to indicate which work was optional. So I learned this trick from another Modern Classrooms mentor to put it in the Google Classroom as a grading category, and it just shows up there by the name, so it's very obvious. Uh, but I'm curious, do do you all indicate to your students which is which, which is an aspire to do, which is should, and which is must? Um, and if you do, how how do you show them? So it might be just because I'm extremely type A, but yes, I let my kiddos know and we have it all written out with like a whole plan because I know personally as a student, even now as an educator, like I like to know exactly what's expected, right? I don't like going into a meeting without an agenda because my mind just goes down the rabbit hole of what are we doing in here? Why are we doing here? Um, and so I do communicate the lesson classifications to students. But with the should do, I do, uh, I'm trying to think about the way to put it, but we emphasize some should do's more than other should do's, if that makes sense. And it's mostly just because I don't want kiddos to be stressed if they have to skip over a should do, especially with the students that I serve. We have a lot of life situations, a lot of transportation situations, just a lot of things that might prevent those kiddos from being in school for the full 180 days a year. And so I like to communicate that lesson classification so that students can know that they can still be successful, right? They can still attain those must-dos. They're still learning the content that they need, even if they don't get to every assignment. Um, And I think, you know, we've talked about this and I've heard you guys lift it up in previous podcasts, that whole like teaching bell to bell is so embedded in a lot of educators and it's also embedded in a lot of students, right? Like I've had kiddos, you know, they're rolling off the bus sick pre-pandemic. So it's before, you know, COVID screening days, but it's like, honey, like, why are you here? You should have stayed home. And they're like, no, I, I can't miss. Like, I have to be here today. And we want kiddos, or at least I want kiddos to be able to feel like they can be successful in school, even if life gets in the way, right? Even if they have to miss a day, even if we get a little behind because we're spending extra time on the must-dos. So I do communicate that lesson classification, but then I also communicate to kiddos, you know, if lessons three and nine are should-dos, let's definitely, you know, have a goal of completing that lesson nine should do. Lesson three is lower on our radar. It's not a huge deal if we don't get to it. Um, And same with the aspire to do's. But since I have so few aspire to do's, because I do try to make them engaging and and super cool, those are normally motivating in themselves. And then it's really just, you know, kind of balancing for the kiddos that responsibility of learning while also acknowledging that like, hey, you're you're 10 years old, it's elementary school, and we're going to be just fine. And you're going to be very successful. Yes, yeah, Sarah, I mean, those are all such good points. That idea of accessibility to the curriculum, really, I think this is what I was trying to get at before, and why I wanted to frame the discussion from the perspective of like how we think about these different kinds of lessons, because I feel like as a tool for, you know, separating out what 
students must take from our class and then making the rest of it either should or aspire, you know, we can frame the material in a way that makes those kids not feel bad about missing school for whatever reason, whether they're sick or, or something else, right? I think that's such a good point. And it's, I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind as you think about this idea of classifying your lessons. It's not just, it's not just filling up the students, you know, LMS with work. Monty, how about you? Do you communicate the classifications to your students and how? Yeah. So I, I like to think of the lens from like, as an adult, I know that if I walk into a room or even like in grad school and things like that, like I get a lot of choice in what I do because I'm an adult and like people treat me as such. And I think one of the luxuries of this model is that we're giving our students a little bit more responsibility. We're giving them more autonomy to kind of make decisions and we're teaching them how to be those like 21st century thinkers. And so that's my rationale for why I choose to communicate with them about why, like about the lesson classification. Um, and I've always done that now you do kind of start to fall into a trap, especially around like, I don't know, December, where they're like, oh, I'm not going to do this assignment because it's an aspire to do assignment. And I'm like, oh, no, if you have the time, you're going to do it. And so one of the things that I had to do, and this was really a DCI thing, because these kids, they're very like, they're very vocal about things, which I like. Um, But I took away the classifications from them for one unit. And we were able to have some of those mature conversations of like, oh, it's actually a privilege for me to be able to make decisions and like know what Miss Woodard has planned out. Like it's actually a, a privilege. And so, you know, we were able to have those conversations together about why getting the classifications actually makes you a better learner um, and why we don't say things like, well, I'm not going to do this assignment because it's an aspire to do. After one unit of not having classifications, they were actually way more appreciative of the fact that I communicated them with them because again, it, it just gave them more knowledge. It did not change anything in the grand scheme of things. Like most kids still did the work as it was laid out in like the order that it was, but just seeing it there was really eye opening for a lot of them. And they began to kind of understand like the distinctions between the assignments. They were, they were able to like by April, they were able to kind of, they could plan out one of my lessons. They were like, oh, okay, we know that notes are a must do. And, you know, they were able to do it. And I just like being able to have those discussions with, with them because I think especially by the end of eighth grade um, and they're getting ready to go into high school, I think they should be able to make informed decisions about their own learning. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember that students figure out uh, sort of like with the different types of assignments. I had a student one day come in and she was like, oh, lesson four, I guess we're writing today. And I was like, yeah, it's an aspire to do. You figured it out. I always have my aspire to do it on lesson four. They, they really do figure it out if you're, if you're consistent with the routine. And Monty, you did a great job foreshadowing my next question because I wanted to ask if you do let your students know which assignments are aspire to do's, they might start to learn, well, these assignments are optional. I don't have to do them. And so how do you deal with kids who just choose to not do the aspire to do's because they know that they're optional? Monty, you kind of already touched on this, but you know, how do you like, what's the conversation you have with that kid? Do you allow them to skip them if they're on pace? Like how, how do you approach this? Yeah. So should do's are, should do's are the one that if they're a little bit ahead, I actually encourage them to do it. I'm like, Hey, we're not going to skip this one. Like, I think you should do it. And here's why. And a lot of times, and I mean, I'm speaking from the lens of eighth grade, I cannot speak for sixth or seventh grade, but like eighth graders are, they're oftentimes very reflective. And when you've frame it in a way of like, this is actually going to help you in the long run. They'll do it. The aspire to do though, because they're, they're truly things that 
are not super necessary for their their learning. They're fun and things like that, but it's not super necessary. If a kid comes to me and they're like, I finished everything. I don't want to do the Aspire to do. As long as they are able to give me a a constructive plan of how they're going to use their time. This plan cannot include things like, oh, I'm going to play unblocked games. Um, It has to be a constructive plan of like, well, I want to read this book that we're doing for Project Lit or I want to work on these eight problems that I have to do for math or I want to do research on X, Y, Z. I'm normally like, that's fine. Um, And I'm I'm kind of in the ballpark of if they can tell me something constructive of how they're going to use their time. I don't force them to do an Aspire to do assignment. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, I feel like it's we often talk about using the the idea of a pacing tracker as a motivator for kids who are behind and like teaching the lesson that borrowing from your future time means you have to make it up later and you know things like that. But it's almost the inverse of that where it's like you've earned some free time now and you can't just sit around doing whatever, but you don't have to do work for my class because you've finished, you're ahead of pace in my class right now. I, I approach it that way too. I know some teachers can be more strict about it, but that's my own personal take because kids have a lot to do. And so if they've managed to get ahead in my class, I'll give them the time. I feel like they earned it. Sarah, what about you? How do you, uh, how do you deal with those kids who don't want to do the Aspire to do's because they're optional? I'm very much like Monty with, you know, a constructive plan. Yeah, no no YouTube, no Roblox, whatever it is that the kids are into these days. Um, and I think, Zach, you said something really important with, like, you know, when kiddos are at the Aspire to-dos, it means that they've done those must-dos. And so we don't want to punish kids for doing what they were supposed to do, right? Yeah. And that's, again, why it's so important that those Aspire to-dos are cool and stuff that they aspire to do because then you're going to have kiddos that are taking way longer than they need to on your must-dos just because they don't want to get to the Aspire to-dos. Um, I think as well with this, normally what I'll tell my kiddos is they get like one or two passes if they're just like not feeling that Aspire to-do. Um, we're not going to skip every single one, but if there's one that you're just like really not feeling, like that's cool. I understand it. I was doing a constitution project one time and bill of rights and government documents, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the aspire to do's was to use the, um, it's called the constitute project. And they have all of the constitutions of the world in English and different languages. And so they're all like transcribed and translated and kiddos were going to compare and contrast the United States constitution with the country's Uh, of their choice. And I thought it was a super cool lesson. And that was something that personally fifth grade me would have loved. And uh, one of my kiddos, when he said he didn't want to do it, I was like, can I ask why? And he was like, I just don't really like constitutions. (laughs) I was like, okay, respect. Like I, I get that. Um, Totally fine. I get that this was not like aspiring you. This is not going to be a, you know, a, a huge joy for you today that's totally cool. What are we going to do instead with our time? Um, And I think when you're using modern classrooms, you have that ability to talk to your kids about it. And that's helped me, you know, conversations like that have helped me plan further aspire to do's because, you know, maybe I find that my kiddos really like doing projects. Maybe my kiddos really like to create presentations, you know, and you can actually have that time to talk with them. And so that in your future units, you can kind of tailor those aspire to do's to again, be super motivating. Yeah, Sarah, I feel like you kind of snuck in the answer to this question without me even realizing it at the beginning, which is to make the aspire to do's fun. Like that's how you get them to want to do it. But you're right. Like not every aspire to do is going to be super exciting for every kid. But I, I love that. It's such a, like a growth mindset, right? Like when a kid tells you that something is boring for them, 
don't get all defensive about it. Like take take the lesson and think about how you could make your aspires to cater to more kids so that they want to do them. That's interesting. I personally, I don't allow them to skip the aspire to do if they're on pace. Like only if they're ahead is that something they're allowed to do. I have had in a couple cases, kids tell me like, they're really engaged with their project and they want to skip the aspire to do and do the next must do after that, which is interesting. It's like they're in the headspace of working on their project and I'll say, oh, okay, that's that's great. Like if you want to spend the aspire to do time being creative and doing the work that you must do, that's also fine. Uh, I feel like it's almost like a, you know, a one-off decision every time. I try to be the one to tell the kids when they're allowed to skip a lesson or not, but yeah, it's, you know, every every now and then something comes up and, and I have to be like, okay, okay, you you have a good reason to skip it, go ahead and skip it. And I, I think it's also important to emphasize here because all my mentees like freak out. Most kids actually don't give you pushback. If you put the assignment in front of them, like 99% of kids in my experience of doing modern classroom, they're just going to do it because it's there. Like the classifications haven't actually changed any of their minds. Most kids are just going to do it because you gave it to them. The 1%, the vocal, the, the kids that are vocal, those are the ones that sometimes will say, well, I'm not going to do this or I don't want to do this. But it's a very, very, very small number. Like maybe three kids of all the kids that I teach will give me pushback about an assignment. Most of them are just going to do it. And that's why I like to tell my mentees all the time of like, I, I promise that the world will not end if you let them know like they don't actually have to do it. Like most of them are going to do it because what is the alternative of being bored? Like kids sometimes ask me for work. Like at the end of the year, they were asking for things to do because they were so bored. So they're <laughs> they're actually not going to give you that much pushback, I promise. Yeah, yeah, totally. Usually it's just sort of like, uh, okay. <laughs> they ask because they're like, they're going to try it. But if they're on pace, I'm going to be like, nope. And they'll be like, okay, I'll do it. Okay, let's pivot a little bit. Um, this is a this is an interesting question that I see coming up a lot from people in the Slack group that we have um, for the Summer Institute. How do you fit your lesson classification scheme into your grading scheme? Do you grade the different lessons differently? Or do you like reduce grades if students don't do all the aspire to do's or do you grade only based on the must do's? How does your grading system take into account your lesson classifications? I have, we use standards-based grading um, and hopefully Monty does not use standards-based grading. So that way we can kind of show the two sides. Um, But so standards-based grading, basing um, their mastery of each individual standard. And we use a four, three, two, one, um, and so one is they did not master it at all. Two is like, they kind of got it. Three is mastery. And then four is they're able to do that standard on the, on the next grade level. So for me personally, because I'm not necessarily doing, you know, like individual lessons, uh, each one being a grade, I'm really just using those must do lessons. And then the other lessons kind of add into it for lack of a better word. Like I'm, I'm grading them. Uh, their final report card grade based on the work that they complete. So they definitely need the must-do lessons in order to master that standard because those must-do lessons are on that standard. But then the work that they do with should do and aspire to do can kind of factor in with it. Um, I do use how many lessons they complete in terms of like where they are in their pacing in our, uh, we call them like homeroom grades because we do have to do stuff like work study skills and that kind of stuff. But I think just uh, to lift up once again, like when your must do lessons 
are actually the ones that they must do, right? That's the ones that they must do to, to earn that standard. Those are really the ones that you're focusing on in your grading um, because those are the ones that, that are most focused on that standard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that fits in with what you were saying before about kids who may miss school or may not complete the Aspire to do is because of reasons unrelated to the academics, right? It's like the content of this class exists in the must-dos and the should-dos and the Aspire to do's are add-ons or extras, but you can still get everything out of this class by just completing the must-dos. Am I understanding that right? Is that is that how you meant it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it also just helps kiddos understand their grading too, in terms of like, because I mean, report cards are kind of weird, nebulous things, um, you know, then they're papers that you have to give your families four times a year. And sometimes your families are happy about it and sometimes they're not. And so I think the must do, should do and aspire to do also just helps kiddos understand their learning and how we're grading them. And it, it gives them more, I, I guess, control. I mean, they're still having to do it, but I think it gives them a clear path to those report card grades versus just like, here's tons of work that you have to do. And then you're going to get this letter grade at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. How about you, Monty? Um, So I've had experience like in a mastery-based school. And then this last year, I spent time in a traditional-based grading school. So I'll talk from the lens of the traditional-based grading school, since I know that most of our people are coming from schools that grade traditionally. So at my school, I had to have like X amount. I had to have like a classwork grade. I had to have an assessment grade. And then like, because I teach science, I also had to have kind of like a labs and like extended projects grade. Um, so what I chose to do, their assessments, like any any type of assessment that I gave them, whether it was like a lab report, things like that, those were graded as like true things. Whatever grade they got, it went in the grade book as like whatever it was. So if they got a 78%, it went in as a 78%. From the lens of the classwork, which is typically where my must do, should do, and aspire to do fall, I chose to um, give them one grade per lesson. So, for example, because I differentiated the work within the lesson and say we had five, we had five lessons in a unit, they would just get five classwork grades. And they're the must do work. If they did all the must do work, they automatically got the 80 percent in the grade book for like lesson one. If they did the should do, they could earn up to a 90 percent. Um, and if they did the aspire to do, they could earn up to 100 percent. Um, and so I say earn up to because, again, they st- these things still had to be done well. It wasn't completion. It wasn't just like, well, I completed this assignment. Like things had to be done. They had to be done well. They had to put thought into it to earn, you know, the highest grade band. But like they can't earn over 80 percent on lesson one if they haven't even attempted a should do. And they can't over they can't earn over a 90 percent on lesson one if they haven't attempted the aspire to do assignment. Um, and that was just kind of the lens that I chose to think of it as because I had to put in a classwork grade. Yeah, no, but that's a great point, right? Like, it doesn't just mean that you did all the must-dos, it means that you did them well, right? Like, you can earn up to the 80%. That's a great That's a great distinction. In my class, you know, I've mentioned several times on this podcast that my students make songs. Those are the projects, and I've always taught that way, even when I was teaching traditionally. And I still grade the projects, right? I still grade the songs using the same rubric I always have, and that didn't change with modern classrooms, and so it certainly didn't change with classifying my lessons differently. Uh, I actually will not reduce their grade based on not doing the aspire to do's because like I mentioned before, those aspire to do's don't have any effect on the song. I mean, they might deepen the student's knowledge of the skill and maybe give them ideas they can try out in their song, which might make their song be a better song, which might make their grade go up. But that's a really like a long chain of events and an indirect link to their grade. 
you know, I'm grading the song based on the rubric I've always used. I do give them a grade at the end of a unit, though, based on the number of lessons they mastered, just so they can see, like, it's worth completing the lessons. They want, you know, <laughs> they want a grade, honestly. But I will subtract the aspire to do's from the total if they don't do them. So if a student, if the unit has 10 lessons and they do all they do all 10 and master all 10, I'll give them a 10 out of 10, which is 100%. But if they skip one of the aspire to do's and do all the other lessons and master them, I'll give them a nine out of nine. So I'm taking the aspire to out of the calculation, which I learned from Kareem. And I think is a very mathematical way of, of approaching it. But yeah, so there's lots of different ways to approach this. There's definitely no right or wrong way. And it, it does depend on, you know, how your district wants you to grade as well. Um, wow. So I, I think that this was a lot of really interesting detail on this idea of lesson classification. And frankly, I learned a lot from both of you that I'm going to try this upcoming school year. So we're going to close out. But before we do, I want to ask for one piece of advice on classifying lessons that you'd give to a teacher, maybe just trying out the model using the free course, just getting their feet wet. What would you suggest to a teacher just trying out this idea of lesson classification for the first time? I think my biggest piece of advice that I like to tell like anybody, like my mentees or anybody who will listen is don't be offended if kids don't do the work. Like, I feel like as teachers, we get really attached to our assignments um, and we're like, well, I created it. I want the kids to do it. I want the kids to like it. But one of the things that I had to do really early on with doing this model was like separate myself and my feelings away from like the work that I create. And once I was able to kind of take a step back and, you know, think of them as people and like real people, not just like students and truly it it allowed for me to truly look at what they absolutely needed to know when I was able to kind of take my feelings and emotions out of it. Cause at first I was like, they need to do everything because I'm creating it and it's really cool. And once I was able to separate the, well, this is really cool and I want them to do it because I made it kind of thing. I was able to truly look at what was super important. And that's, that's the biggest piece there. You have to be able to look at what's important. Yeah, I think that's great advice to not get all defensive about your assignments because you made them, right? Like, it's, it's, it, you contradict yourself if you say this is an aspire to do, but I'm forcing you to do it, right? That's a great, that's a great point. How about you, Sarah? Mine builds right on to Monty's because I agree with everything she said. Um, I normally emphasize to people to, to really try to just classify those must-do lessons because like you've said, um, like both of you have said, like, as educators, we have great ideas about, oh, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this within a unit. And so then when you're looking at your unit, really making sure that those must-do lessons are truly must-do lessons. Um, and what I like to tell teachers is, you know, if you're looking at like a, if you're looking at your unit, think about if during the time of that unit, you had a surprise assembly and, oh, now you have to go on a field trip and, oh, there was an inclement weather day too and school got shut down. Like, what would still be the stuff that you would make sure that those kiddos got? What would be the lessons that you would make sure even with all of those disruptions that you would absolutely hit? And I think that can be a lens that can really help educators figure out what are those true must-dos. Yeah, totally, totally. And my idea, my piece of advice was going to be kind of the inverse of that, which is like, I, I already said this, but as you're planning, if you think up random little things about the unit that you think are cool, consider making those your aspire to do's. Don't like agonize over coming up with extension activities and, or, you know, you think of these things anyway, I think most teachers do. So, you know, have fun, have the aspire to do's be fun and the kids will enjoy them, hopefully. (laughs) Well, 
Thank you both so much for joining me. This was, again, it was a really illuminating conversation for me, and I took away ideas from this that I'm going to try out. Um, so Sarah and Monty, thank you both so much again. I really, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah, I had tons of fun. Yeah, me too. So listeners, do please go and check out the show notes. Uh, Monty mentioned that her Ed Puzzle series that she made, and I, and I put that in the show notes for you. Um, so you can find that down there. Otherwise, you can find all of the other links for Modern Classrooms down in the show notes as well. I link that every week. So if you don't look at our show notes, you might want to check it out. It's at podcast.modernclassrooms.org um, if you're not listening to this on the web. Anyway, have a great week, everyone. And we will be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.